0: Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to Between the Sheets. On today's episode, I sit down and talk to Daytime Emmy Award winning Sam Regal. We cover a lot of stuff. His childhood on Broadway. A lot of people don't know him and his wife were there when 9-11 went down. His voiceover directing career, the beginning of Critical Role, his character choices. So much really cool stuff. I love Sam. This was one of my favorites. Remember, you can watch Between the Sheets, uh, Mondays at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash Critical Role, or you can watch it on YouTube on Wednesdays. We post it Wednesday mornings at youtube.com slash Critical Role. So enjoy this conversation with Sam. Sam? Thank you for joining me. Brian, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm sorry. It's a pleasure to be here. We went over this (laughs) five
0: times. It's a pleasure to be here. End it down. I know you don't like line reads, but (laughs) I have to get into you. Uh, we're drinking what today? Uh, if I if
1: I'm to understand correctly, you made me my favorite drink. Yeah.
0: A sidecar. Absolutely. It's a delightful. This is classy. This is I'm not used to drinking something that's classy.
1: Hmm. Mmm. Mmm. That's pretty good. The sugar around the rim really makes it what it is.
0: That sugar on yours? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. I have sort of salt and something that's making my teeth numb. No, I think that'll be fine. Okay. Just keep doing it. Where did Daytime Emmy Award winning, I have to say this 15, 16 yeah. times this episode, where yeah. did Daytime Emmy Award winning Sam Regal grow up?
1: Uh, daytime Emmy Award winning Sam Regal um, there's got to be an abbreviation for that. <laughs>
0: D-E-A-W-S-R? Uh, <A-W-> <laughs> Jesus.
1: Uh, I grew up, I was born in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on Columbus Day in the bicentennial, uh, named after Uncle Sam. Really? Yeah, all these things are true. Named after Uncle Sam? No, oh. that part's not true. Damn. I mean, my name's the same as his. OK. Um. But I was born in D.C., I grew up in Northern Virginia, Um, and eventually uh, theater sort of took me northward to New York City, and I still consider myself a New Yorker for the most part, even though uh, I've probably lived here longer, Yeah, I don't know, once you're a New Yorker, you're just kind of a New Yorker for, for life.
0: A lot of it depends on where you ended up growing up and spending those formative years, I think, is how people end up deciding mm-hmm. where they're really from. Yeah, exactly. How old were you when you left Northern Virginia?
1: Uh, my, my big trip out of Northern Virginia to the bright lights of New York City, uh, I was, I think, 13 or 14. Let's see here. I, I must have been just 14. And um, I remember it very well because uh, I flew alone from Dulles to New York, and I just booked a job. I Show, booked uh, *The Sound of Music* on Broadway. So I was I was leaving uh, Virginia and moving to New York to seek my fame and fortune. And when I got to the airport, I checked in. I was flying by myself, and the guy at the ticket counter was like, uh, "You're Sam Regal." <laughs> and I was really? like, "What?" He's like, "I've been following your career. I, you're, I'm a big fan." I was like, "Are you serious?" So he was like a theater nerd. Whoa. And I was a, I, I was a, a well-known local theater kid, which, you know, there was only like four of them, so I <laughs> yeah. was top four. Um, and I guess he went to the theater a lot. So he had seen me perform, and he was like, good luck up there. And I was like, wow. this is like some sort of a sign.
0: You told him I'm on my way to make my big break in the yeah, Big Apple. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What were those first 13, 14 years like growing up in northern Virginia and DC?
1: Uh, It was, uh, I had a pretty decent childhood, nothing like too traumatic or anything, just uh, I was in theater from a very early age. My first theater production was, I was in Oompa Loompa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when I was like six. Wow. And then from there, I did a bunch of local theater shows. I did uh, dinner theater, which if you're not familiar with dinner theater. Oh, I am. It's theater while you eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Well, the people watching eat not the people on stage.
0: Yeah, I saw a dinner theater production of My Fair Lady in Washington, D.C. when I was you in eighth did? grade. Yeah, took an eighth grade trip to uh, Washington, D.C. to see all the sites and the monuments, and then they said, we're gonna go to this thing called Dinner Theater, and I thought, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but it was it was just as bad as I thought. No, it was fun.
1: <laughs> no, but I was, I was, so I would make $10 a show, I did a bunch of dinner theater, and then um, when I was 11, Les Mis came to town, the traveling production mm-hmm. of Les Mis, And I auditioned and I got in and I toured the country. So like my childhood, it was like this weird divide of like being a regular kid who played soccer and did normal kid Virginia stuff, went camping, uh, biking. And then I also had like this second life of like doing theater that none of my friends could really understand or vibe with. Yeah, It was very weird. Uh, my mom was always driving me around to auditions and performances and stuff like that. And so pretty soon, pretty soon I realized, like, I, I this is not going to, I'm not going to stay here forever. Like, mm. I, I it doesn't, I, I'm not, it doesn't work. Something's wrong.
0: Yeah, your DNA and the DNA of what other kids were doing at that age was just different.
1: Yeah, especially after I I went on tour with Les Miserables for a year and a half. Then I came back and was just a regular kid again in, in, seventh grade eighth grade seventh grade something like that mm-hmm. and so i was going to junior high and i had seen the world i had seen america we went to 26 different cities wow uh i had been the star of a shoe not the star but you know a, a prominent role in a, in a major show i had press i was on tv i was doing all this stuff and then i went back and i was just in geometry class again and i just was like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> was
0: it, it was super hard to relate to other kids your age at that point because you I yeah. mean yeah, you, you might as well have seen the world, yeah traveling that much. Yeah, right and down. all
1: my friends were grown-ups, mm-hmm. like because I was usually either the only kid in a show or there was like two or three kids in a show. And everyone I talked to was a, a grown-up, not only a grown-up, but a theater person. right? So like fabulous, uh, cultured, a uh, uh, talented, mm-hmm. like Worldly. Am- amazing people, and and they treated me just like one of the cast. And so going back to just normal junior high after that is is kind of rough, boring. Yeah,
0: so it would be you'd be so bored. Yeah. Did you do well in school, or was because yeah. theater was your passion? It, did that sort of slip away, or did you feel like it was easy to kind of maintain both? It.
1: T- I wasn't. I mean, I was. I'm great, in, I was great in school. Like I, I'm. I, I'm smart enough to get by, or whatever. Um, Surprised to hear you say something like that about yourself. <laughs> I'm really smart, Brian.
0: Um, I gathered. They don't know, give dummies a way to dummies. No, they
1: sure don't. Um, they make you fill out an essay question. Mm-hmm, actually, mm-hmm. Uh, this is a lovely drink. It tastes great, and it's a decent show.
0: Thank you. Sure. (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah. Three minutes into your first time ever watching it, your episode. (laughs) Yes, yeah. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. We were talking about, yeah, school. School,
1: yeah. The only thing that that, uh, that, uh, I suffered from in school was just time. Like, so I was gone a lot Mm -hmm. and I would miss things. There was a period of time when I just didn't go to school. Like, when I first moved up to New York, my mom didn't know what school to enroll me in in New York. And so I think she, I think I just skipped 8th grade. Like not just skipped it because I was so bright, just like didn't go to school <laughs> for a year. And, wow. and when I went into school the next year, they were like, where's his school records? And she's like, oh, there was a fire. <laughs> and that was it, I just he missed did, a whole grade.
0: He did some work for the government last <laughs> yeah. year. We're not really allowed to go yeah. into details. So there's a
1: missing school year. So I probably, there's probably some facts that I'm missing that you know that I don't.
0: Um, Abraham Lincoln was the first president of sure. the United States. Of course, I was there that day. 1970 something or other, I don't have the paperwork in front of me. Mm-hmm. At what point then, that young, did you realize that you were drawn to the stage or to performing? Was it, you know, you got in one play and the bug hit you? Or was it just going through the motions and all of a sudden something about that? Was it Les Mis, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, my mom was uh, was a stage mom and mm. she, she got us involved in theater at a young age. But, uh, and, and my sister too. But I really did like it, and uh, I still have this unending urge to perform, and have that sort of creative outlet. So she she definitely kept checking in with us to say like, is this something you really want to do? Oh, do you want to stop? Is because uh, there's also a lot of tears when you're a kid and you audition for something and you don't get it. Yeah,
0: it's it's heartbreaking. You take that a lot harder than later on when yeah. you're more used to it.
1: Yeah, totally. So so she checked in a lot, and and. I, no, there was just something about it. I, I don't know if it's getting the reaction from an audience, or, or just sort of being expressive and big. I don't know what it was that resonated, but I was in, into it. So mm. into it that I was, I would do, I would do two shows at the same time sometimes. At one Whoa. point when I was like ten, I was doing Camelot and Pippin, because in Pippin. The boy, the little boy, uh, is only in the first act. And in Camelot, no, it's the other way around. Something like that. But I it worked it out so I was in act one of one play and act two of another play. And so I would do one and then drive across town and do the other. In the same night. And then drive back and do curtain call at the first one. Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you made 20 bucks that night. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Was it hard for you not only just traveling that much, but having that cultured of an experience? Was it hard for you to make and to keep friends for all those years before you went to New York? Or were your friends the ones in the theater, and then when you were not traveling with them, you sort of just got by That is very
1: true, yeah. No, I didn't really have a lot of close, long-term friends uh, growing up. I had... I would, I would love the adults that I would hang out with, but, like, in school and stuff, yeah. Even, even in New York, I, I would always have, like, one best friend and then not really any other friends. Because yeah. um, I could only, like, I guess I only really had time to focus on one friend yeah. rather than hanging out with a, a larger group. So and that's probably that's kind of followed me to this day. Like I have one friend. His name's Liam (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien, and that's I mean I like you guys too, of course, yeah. um, But like in terms of like close friend, I I really have only ever had like one at a time uh, through my whole life.
0: Yeah, between the transient lifestyle and then just continuing to be busy, it's hard to maintain.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also like, you know, I don't. I, I don't know. I, there, there, like you said, there's, there wasn't a lot of other kids who just kind of got it. Mm. Like, um, sometimes I would have to grow my hair real long for a part, like for Les Mis or something. And all the other kids would make fun of me and say I have, like, girl hair and stuff, which is not an insult, but at the time yeah, it was. Yeah, at the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it was, it was rare to find a kid who was like, I get what you're, I get what you're about. You're, you're a cool dude. Cause it was not cool <laughs> on the outside.
0: Was it important for you to try and impress people or win them over in that case then, if you felt like a little bit of an outsider because of your lifestyle, obviously looking a lot different than any kid mm-hmm. your age or any kid that I grew up with?
1: I mean, no, I always wanted to have friends obviously, and be, you know, uh, accepted by my years but um, but no, I didn't. I didn't really seek out um, like hardcore companions uh, a, a lot. Like I played a lot of Nintendo and read a lot of comic books by myself, and played GI Joes and stuff. And I was pretty content to just kind of be alone.
0: Yeah, that sounds sad. No, it, it, <laughs> it makes it makes sense and it fits with sort of the circumstances that you were in are not they're not very conducive to mm-hmm. someone who's going to end up being the popular kid at school with all the friends and you know
1: yeah I mean I could have I guess I I guess there are there is that archetype too of like the performer guy who's the best in the talent show and everybody loves him at school that was not me
0: yeah <laughs> most likely. I was like
1: I was like a, a closeted uh actor like I never did it at school I mm. never showed off any acting abilities at school or anything like that. I never sang at school. No school productions. No school productions, no choir, no chorus, no no instruments, nothing like that. That was like just something for me that I did off
0: hours. Did you <laughs> feel like, and this isn't, I'm not making a joke, but did you feel like because you had been already in more advanced theater stuff than Mm -hmm. what a school production would be, that that stuff was kind of amateur for you? or
1: Maybe, but also uh, as being an insecure kid, I'm sure it was more like if I were to do a school production, there would be expectations on me that I couldn't uh, live up to mm. that was probably more along the lines like yeah. oh we'll make Sam the star because he's a real actor and then it's like oh he sucks
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't afford me <laughs> on the you know the school's budget yeah so you go to New York you're 14 years old and yeah. the first production you did there was I did Sound uh, of Music Sound of Music mm-hmm and you're in the one of the craziest, busiest, fast-moving, intense hustle cities in the world mm-hmm. at 14 years old. Yeah. What was that like?
1: Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> I mean, it was great. I was surrounded by other professionals. I went to a performing arts high school called PCS. Uh, and like Macaulay Culkin went there, and the Cosby kids went there, and Tara Reed went there, and Whoa. Sarah Michelle Gellar went Whoa. there. Um, so I was around all these people who finally like got it. And not only did they get it, like, and, and I was accepted as just being another performer in the school, uh, they were all way better than me, <laughs> and, and also way more famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool to be, it was kind of cool to be an outcast not because I was the weird theater kid but because I was the guy who hadn't booked a regular job on a soap opera yet or whatever, right? Like, I was I was a striving actor where they were all like famous.
0: Right. Yeah. Broadway. Yeah. At that age, what what was that like? All those people, I'm sure there were probably articles and sure. you know, you're thrust into the spotlight that young. I've talked to Tallison and other people about acting as a child and what that's done but this is this level of you know live theater production on Mm -hmm. Broadway is obviously legendary but that must have been was it intimidating?
1: Sure I mean those big audiences are you know it's weird Broadway is is the houses in Broadway are a little smaller than the houses when you tour around sometimes Mm. like I would play uh, uh in Les mins i would do shows t- to theaters that are like 3000 4000 people and then the broadway houses are more like 1800 it was actually a little less intimidating just in in terms of like scope but um but yeah when you when you're performing for that many people and you're surrounded by professional adults who are like looking at you when you step forward to sing your song on stage it's a uh, It's scary as shit. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) But it's also the most exhilarating thing Mm. ever. Like, I I always got stage fright. I still get stage fright. Even now on our Dungeons & Dragons show, I get stage
0: fright. Really? Oh, yeah. On a Thursday before an episode, you deal with... Every time. What's going through
1: your mind? Uh... Well, when, you know, your physical body is like starting to betray you and your heart's beating and your throat's closing up and and starting to get dry and stuff. And uh, mainly what I worry about on on our show that we do now is um, like these ads that I do at the beginning because it's not like there's a rehearsal or anything. I just have to kind of wing it and uh, I worry if I'll mess something up or say something totally offensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a real that's a real thought. Yeah,
1: but it's that's kind of what I I love about it, uh, about it and and about just performing
0: in general is like that. Ooh, it's about to start, it's about to start. Yeah. Go and right. you, you just got to do it. And that helps you overcome the fear is just walking right into it head first.
1: Yeah, and it's always been that way for me even as a kid I just have loved that feeling of like impending fear and then like let's go let's mm. go through the door let's see mm. what happens i, I don't know I, mean, I i guess it's an addiction of some sort
0: probably yeah but a good one compared yeah. to the others that you could have gotten into <laughs>
1: oh tell me about those
0: <laughs> well and that's for another time we don't have nearly enough of this what was after sound of music I did other theater shows in New York. I did an off-Broadway show
1: called "I Can Get It for You Wholesale." (laughs) Um, I did some soap operas eventually. Uh, I did around what age
0: were you doing? Like fifteen, you know,
1: the comfortable, confident age that you want to be Mm. on national television, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) where you have to put a lot of cover up on a gigantic zit right before (laughs) you go out (laughs) with a with a soap opera star to do a scene. Um, Yeah, I did like. Uh, another world and i did soap operas that don't even ex- exist anymore uh i can't even think of the other ones in one soap opera i played a french boy oh like one cool. of the one of the storylines took someone to france and i was a french pickpocket and i stole <laughs> her wallet and then we had a scene together ridiculous
0: did you mean to sound like pepe lepe <laughs> when you were on that <laughs> oh
1: i went to one Half-hour dialect coaching session. So for I'm, the French thing. So I'm pretty expert at
0: it. <laughs> Did they give you a certificate that sits next to the Emmy? Yep. yep. French training. <laughs> totally. What was the? What was it? The difference for you in doing theater and then doing some TV stuff? Did you prefer one over the other when you started doing TV? Was it? Oh, this is kind of interesting and something I haven't tapped into because you had been doing yeah. theater for so long.
1: Yeah, I didn't dig TV very much. It was a lot of waiting, and there was no. There was no feedback.
0: There's no instant gratification. Yeah, from Yeah, like audience. you do
1: a good job and nobody's like laughing or crying or applauding or anything. So it just seemed kind of cold and dead, and uh, I didn't I didn't love it. I much preferred theater, and so I, I gravitated to that. I did a lot of singing shows. I did a duop show as a, as a teenager. I was in a duop group, and we had a, a show in New York. What was the name of that group? It was. We were called the Procrastinators. Oh wow! And we sang classic. <laughs> Do op hits of the
0: 50s and 60s songs about waiting to get stuff done until you're ready <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> was the instant gratification and that instant feedback having grown up being so used to that do you find that that in developing yourself as an actor that that was something you needed to feel like you did a good job
1: mm-hmm yeah probably uh it's probably it's yeah, probably it's defining most of my life. But Still. yeah, yeah, I think so. Just getting instant, instant laughs or instant yucks. You know, I'm a bit of a silly person sometimes.
0: I'm not surprised. Uh,
1: and it's probably because I'm like constantly fishing for some sort of reaction because it's like drilled into my soul that you're not doing it right unless someone's reacting to it.
0: So if you don't get that reaction, does your mind immediately go to, that wasn't funny enough or it wasn't good enough? Yeah. How um, do you overcome that and realize- I guess I don't. You just try again and hope (laughs) for a better result?
1: Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, um, yeah, just kind of thinking back, like even in college, I I went to just a regular college to just have a regular kid experience. And within like six months, I found myself the lead singer of an a cappella group. <laughs> and we would perform at sororities and stuff like that. And like, I guess I'm always constantly seeking experiences where I can, you know, show off and get, and get a response. It's probably to hide some sort of deep-seated insecurity. And, and, we'll get there. Okay. I, don't
0: know. I don't know. That's I'm act two of the show. That's act two of the show. I'm not sure if you're <laughs> familiar with how this works. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a fan of the show. <laughs> How did you end up getting into improv? Uh,
1: Improv? Uh, So I got into improv uh, the way that most people do. Tina Fey told me to start. Really? (laughs) How did you meet Tina Fey? So I went to the University of Virginia for college. Right. And at the end of college there, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they they used to give you, like, a mentor, someone who has graduated before that you can call to get career advice in the field of your choosing.
0: Hmm. And there's
1: not many people who go through UVA with an entertainment, uh, you know, background or or, or future.
0: Um, It's not the prominent.
1: No, uh, no. It's mostly, like, law school and med school people um, and brilliant people or poli-sci, that kind of stuff. But uh, so I, you know, I clicked in that I wanna talk to an entertainment person and they were like, here's your mentor. Her name's Tina Faye. Her name is Elizabeth Faye.
0: Wow. And I, it
1: took me a while to figure out like, oh, her middle name's Tina and she, that's Tina Faye. She's on Saturday Night Live. Wow. She had just been named, I think, head writer of SNL. So I'm sure she doesn't even remember this, but I called her on the phone at her office and uh, I was like, hey, I'm just graduating from Virginia. I want to do theater and comedy and writing and stuff. And what do I do? And she's like, "You got to move to Chicago and do improv comedy
0: at Second City or one of those."
1: Yeah, yeah, prominent. Prominent. Improv Olympic.
0: Improv Olympics, um, yeah.
1: And and I was like, "Oh, but can I?" Can I move to New York since that's where I live already? And she's like, "Great, yeah, go to New York. There's something just about to start. It's called the Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm. They're just getting a theater. You should go there and sign up for classes right away." And I was like, "Great, see you there." And I never talked to her again. <laughs> but that was it. That was it. I and bet then, she
0: still remembers them.
1: Totally. Um, <laughs> and I and that's what I did. I went to New York and I signed up for UCB. I was one of the first classes of of students there when they just had gotten their their first real theater. I guess they had a smaller theater and they had just
0: moved into a bigger theater. And were you still doing regular theater productions or was it just strictly you went in there and you I were gonna, I, going I think when, to when I
1: started doing improv, like that was it for a while. Like that was so cool because you didn't need to rehearse or anything and
0: really weird, interesting people. It still scratched that itch of the live performance, so, the laughs, the feedback.
1: Yeah, and, and more so because you get to do a different show every time you go up on stage. You get to perform with different people, or get thrown into somebody else's sketch show or something. So it was just a wild place to do to do stuff, and um, and you could experiment and do really gross skits or really weird characters or just kind of stretch your your muscles and. Yeah. Uh, and most of it was terrible, but some of it was really good.
0: What was What's one that still sticks with you that you remember that you had a lot of fun doing?
1: Uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Something that was really fun to do. We did a Halloween show. Um, I've, I've forgotten the name of it, I'll find it. But uh, I played a clown. And uh, the object of the it was like a Halloween sketch show, and the object of it was just to be gross, essentially. And my scene, I think it was a clown with a chainsaw or something, and I, I was slicing up bodies and there was buckets of blood <laughs> just everywhere. The audience had to have tarps. Gallagher and stuff. style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was pretty awesome to just like come home at night and, and have like dried blood all over your face and hair. And that was really cool.
0: The difference between theater where you have a you're doing a play or a musical and you have a script and you can rehearse over and over and over, and then you go over to improv where it still uses a lot of those skills, but this time you have the potential to sort of bomb mm-hmm. even more. Did you did you have any performances or any nights like that where you w- walked off stage and went, I totally sucked?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, in improv that happens all the time. You do a show where just nothing clicks, people are missing missing cues or clues, uh, or you just forget the thread of the game or the scene or the character. I mean, bad improv is the worst. (laughs) And my poor, now wife, then girlfriend, had to go to so many improv shows to support me and be a a great girlfriend, and uh, she must have sat through so much garbage, just so much (laughs) And not all of it was me. <laughs> some of it was me, but like, oh boy, there was just some rough shows where just nothing, nothing was funny. Did um, it
0: discourage you or did it drive you to be better than you currently were at that time?
1: I think it drove me to be better than I than I was, mainly from like an ego standpoint, but um, but also a technique standpoint. Like it's it's amazing to be at a theater like Upright Citizens Brigade, where you see these incredible improvisers, incredible comedians. Um, and so for us and all of us who were going through the training program and stuff at the time, we would watch somebody on stage and be like, oh my God, that person is a genius. I want to do that. I want to do, and, and Tina, Tina Fey would come perform sometimes. Mm. And so with the original UCB members and uh, and Armando Diaz and, uh, and and all these like incredible, Andrew Secunda, all these incredible performers, um, who who have gone on to like write write stuff and star and stuff. And just watching them was sort of like it was jet fuel for like I gotta I gotta be better. I gotta it was be a, a, a
0: clinic, a master class yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Rob cordrey was there and Rob Riggle was there. And
0: Were you hard on yourself when you would do well or or poorly? Did you did you you know, you're you're obviously a very driven person and you are always looking for a way to sort of top the last thing you did, mm-hmm. or to iterate on it, or improve on it, were you hard on yourself? Or did you feel like that would get in the way, so you would just focus on the work? I
1: know you're trying to make me cry right I'm now. I'm not, I'm
0: not. <laughs> I'm gonna get to that. Um, no. When we talk about your feelings for me, that's when we know the tears <laughs> will
1: flow. Um, I, I, I was, I feel like I was normal on myself. Like, I, I, think, I think my mom was smart, uh, in that she got us involved early and she got us, uh, me and my sister, auditioning a lot when we were real young. And uh, there was a lot of failure and a lot of like bad auditions and um, uh, like bad dance auditions. Like, you can dance, right? Sure, I'll try to dance. Nope, you can't dance. <laughs> um, that kind of stuff. And so I think we got it all out early. So I had so much disappointment. And so much failure as, like, a nine-year-old boy <laughs> that when I got to be, like, a 24-year-old improviser in New York, I was like, "Yeah, this is nothing. I, I bombed on stage. So what? It's nothing compared to, like, having a guy tell you as a nine-year-old, you
0: suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? I can take
1: this. Let's you develop
0: see. thicker skin.
1: Yeah. Also, the improv community in the New York scene at that time was... You know, we would all go out to the bar afterwards and McManus Pub and 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 drink down our sorrows and talk about what we should have done in the improv scene or what we could have done that would be way funnier. And um, it's almost like that, that stuff, the stuff at the bar afterwards, was way more educational than the actual classes. Cause wow. We, yeah, because you we were just kind of bandying about comedy with with dudes who are better than you mm. while drinking. and So you're
0: commiserating, but you're also learning. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever think maybe a normal nine to five is in my future? I'm getting this out of my system now. I'm enjoying this for now, but there's no way it's gonna be able to sustain well into the later parts or is it you were driven to make sure that you could carve out a space for yourself in the world, making a living doing what you loved?
1: There were definitely times when I thought like, I should have a backup plan or I should try to have just a regular job. Um, Like going through puberty is a real hard time for uh, an actor uh, just because you don't know what roles you can play anymore.
0: Yeah, your voice got higher.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it did. Um, And then also like coming out, uh, home from college. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any contacts or whatever. So yeah, there were times that I would try to do like, or think about doing like a, a real job. Uh, at one point in high school, I was like, I think I'm going to be a forensic pathologist. Why? It just seemed cool and interesting. My dad's a scientist. Right. I really like science. But then one day he was like, you know, they have to like look at dead bodies all the <laughs> day all, all day long. And some of them could be like, horrible or children oh and i was like yeah okay maybe i won't i won't ever think about that ever again in yeah. my life." and then after college i wanted to be briefly a producer because that's in the biz but it's not like it's a little bit more normal
0: not really a theater producer no or i was tv film
1: i produced a string of like uh films of, mm-hmm. of short films and feature films i was doing like line producing and uh, UPM jobs mm-hmm. and stuff uh, on other people's movies, and uh, it was it was it was fun because you know making movies is is uh, is fun mm-hmm. p- to put it all together and hire a crew and find a DP and get actors together and stuff, but um, it just wasn't wasn't creatively fulfilling
0: uh, enough. Exactly. Yeah, because you you want to be performing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it was still great to do and taught me a lot about
0: how things are put together and the industry and Yeah,
1: how the industry works, how 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 cameras (laughs) work, how how crews are put together, Mm -hmm. you know, these fine people who are all around us are fabulously talented and this is
0: all being run off an iPad. There's that's true. They were just here to set up (laughs) (laughs) your wife is uh, extremely accomplished, cultured, well spoken, has Incredible taste. How did she end up with someone like you? (laughs) You knew where this was going. (laughs) When did you guys first meet? We met in college. At at University of Virginia. At University of Virginia. What was she studying there? What did she want to do? She
1: was Well, that's two different things. She uh, was studying accounting. Mm. She grew up in a traditional family Mm. where they expected uh, their sons and daughters to have uh, good regular jobs, like doctor and lawyer and stuff. So she was studying to be an accountant. But she really just wanted to be uh, like a painter or a photographer or something
0: like that. So she was an artist at
1: heart. At heart, Mm. yes. But we were both in a cappella groups. She was in the all girls group and I was in the all boys group. And so we would see each other around. At the ice cream socials. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We would swap beatboxing techniques. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and say, uh, and she would introduce me to new syllables to say, "Dum dum dum." <laughs> with, yeah, yeah, yeah I was super sexy.
0: She was a pro at that,
1: totally. And, um, and then uh, she was dating a, a guy who was in my group. Um, Ooh, and so I would see her a lot, but not in a romantic way. And then, but were you
0: immediately attracted to her, or because she was dating someone in your group, it was off limits from you just to, for you? Just for you, just admired her from afar.
1: There was a moment I had seen her. I, you know, I, interesting, interesting young lady. Didn't really get too much into it, but there was a moment where we went to a dance club, all, all, all of the acapella nerds, and we were dancing together and you know, on the dance floor, and my the guy from my group said, hey, I'm going to go get us another round of beers. Dance with my girl for a second, will you? And I was like, sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we started dancing, and she was like, Come on, dance closer to me. And I was like, ah, I'm okay. <laughs> and by the way, this is how I dance. Yeah. I, um, and she's like, no, dance closer. And I got a little closer and she's like, no, dance closer. And so she grabbed me by the hand, she spun me around, and she did the most amazing dance move I've ever seen. Whoa. And I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And so when my friend came back with the drinks, I was like, hey, because it was loud. I was like, hey, when you guys break up, we're going to go out. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he was like, okay, cool. Sure. <laughs> yeah. He
0: thought you said like, do you want to go out to eat after this? Because totally. it was so loud. How long after that did you steal your friend's girlfriend?
1: Uh, it was a long time she made me work for it because- <laughs> uh,
0: She made, made you take dancing lessons and-
1: She made me reform my ways. I was, uh, uh, I was a bit of a flirt in college. Oh some 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 would have other words to describe, okay, uh, but in my college, uh for some reason, being in an acapella group was a popular thing that, for real, <laughs> yeah, like we yeah so so i I would date a lot of women and uh and she did not like that very
0: much, I bet not,
1: uh coming from her traditional right. family right.
0: background,
1: yeah. uh and so I had to. I had to just focus and commit myself to her and only her, and make her her feel that she was special and worth fighting for. That took many, many months, and then at the end of it, she said, "No." Really? She, yeah. I said, "I've, I, I, I just want to be with you. I have feelings for you. I've changed my ways. I've changed my ways. I just like, please say yes." And she's like, "Nope." And what did that feel it like? It was crushing. Did, Devastating. Awful. And how old were you at this point? I was 21. Wow. And uh, and I was, we cried and I cried and it was awful. And then uh, I called my friend who was in my acapella, acapella group and he was like, just cut off ties, man. Just cut off all ties. Don't talk to her ever again. You've
0: got a line of other girls that are, you know, clamoring well, to spend time with you that you've had to turn away.
1: No, he was saying, he was saying just... Cut off all ties and make her make her come back to to me. Oh, he thought that that would be a good that technique. That it would work. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it did. It did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So we, we we didn't talk for like three days, and then when I got home one night uh, to my dorm room, I opened it up, and she was sitting in my bed with a pint of. Chunky monkey ice cream, because that was my favorite. Whoa! And she's like, "I'm
0: staying." What do you think made her change her mind? <laughs> because
1: we were best friends. Mm. We were best friends. We hung out all the time together, but we just weren't romantically involved.
0: You think she was afraid that would ruin the friendship? She definitely was. Mm. And so,
1: when she smart, very smart, because she didn't want to risk our friendship. And so, when I. When, when I had sort of confessed my love to her and she denied me, I just stopped talking to her and it was like the hardest three days of both of our lives because we were just used to hanging out together all the time and so she's like, I'm in.
0: And then you've been together now, how long? So that would be? We've been together 21 years, 20, 21 years. Somewhere in the midst of all of that and you guys are together, you're in New York, um, you guys ended up, in New York on Mm 9-11 and took some footage and some photographs that's been used in documentaries about 9-11 since then. Yes,
1: we were living right downtown across the street from the Twin Towers. We were like the closest residential uh, building to the Twin Towers, and so that, and my wife was working across the street at World Financial Center One, which was also, it wasn't hit by a, Plane, but it was destroyed. Yeah, in the um,
0: aftermath. Yeah,
1: and so yeah, we we had quite a weird morning that morning. Uh, you know, we were woken up by the sound of a of a plane crash, and and we lost our apartment. And uh, while we were there, sort of like watching this all unfold, because uh, it wasn't instantaneous, like. Uh, There was uh, an explosion, then there was another explosion many minutes later, and then, you know, they were burning for a while. And we were just watching and watching and watching, not really knowing what to do. So my wife, whom I had just given a camera to for her birthday that year, started just snapping pictures just to kind of like fill, not fill the time, but like trying to separate yourself from the event with like a lens. Mm. And she took a bunch of pictures, and then we evacuated our apartment, and we ran, and the towers fell, and she took more pictures, and we were evacuated to New Jersey, and she took more pictures, and yeah, a few days later, we went to the Associated Press with these undeveloped rolls of film, because uh, it was film back then. Right. And uh, she walked upstairs to the to the Associated Press offices, and she she... Uh, I waited downstairs at the TGI Fridays. <laughs> she waited until they developed the film and looked at the pictures, and she came downstairs like two hours later, and she, and she had an Associated Press badge. She's like, hey, I'm an AP photographer. <laughs> they gave me uh, 20 rolls of film, and we're supposed to go back down there and shoot more stuff wow. right away. And so it, it ended up changing her whole life, because before then she was an accountant, working for just a big time uh, accounting firm. And from that day on, she became a professional photographer Photographer. and artist.
0: Now she's a cinematographer, extremely accomplished.
1: Yeah. So it was was an awful day, but weirdly for her and for us, it has led to uh, uh, her whole career and and professional life Mm. came from that day.
0: When you think back about that experience and being so extremely close to it. I mean, obviously across the street. Did that change things for you guys? That it uh, it, I mean, it really changed the world, mm-hmm. but for you two being there at the center of that, what was that experience like? I, I can't I can't imagine, uh, watching it on TV was so horrifying, but mm-hmm. there must have been so much confusion. There, It must have just been, because for, for me, it wasn't watching the news. I was uh, 18 years old at the time. It mm. came out of nowhere. It just seemed, yeah, insane yeah. to me, but to be there watching it and people being so terrified and confused and not mm-hmm. not knowing what was going on. Yeah, it was super
1: confusing um, and terrifying, obviously. But I think most of the terror came from like not even knowing what was going on.
0: What would happen next? What would
1: happen next? We were hearing like people on the street were like, "There's nine more planes coming! Everybody run!" Mm-hmm. You know, there was all sorts of misinformation and stuff. Um, nobody really knew who was behind it for a a little while or or where we were going to stay that night. Where did you stay? We stayed in a hotel in New Jersey. Everyone was evacuated. uh, Everyone around us was evacuated to New Jersey on a ferry boat. And then we were put on a New Jersey transit train this is such a fun episode of your show, by the way. It's only part of it. <laughs> um, and we were told, all the hotels are full. Just go. Just go. And so we went in a few a few towns into deeper into New Jersey. Never thought I'd be happier to be in New Jersey in that, <laughs> than that day. Yeah. We stayed at a hotel room that night. At one point, we were pulled off the train by police, and ordered to take off all our clothes and because they thought that there was chemicals. Oh, wow. And so we had to decontaminate each other in a decontamination tent Whoa. and we were given those like hazmat suit, mm-hmm. painter suits to wear. So when we got to this hotel, we were wearing these white hazmat suits and we're holding all of our belongings in a orange hazmat bag, like a plastic sealed bag. And we walked into the hotel and the lady at the front desk was like, here's your room keys. <laughs> Don't <laughs> like, come out. No, no payment necessary. Don't tell us anything. Just go to your room wow. and, and relax. Wow. Um, we stayed there for a few days and, you know, eventually we came back to the city and um, but we never went back to that. We never moved back to that apartment again. And
0: was all your stuff gone? And
1: it was there, but it was just destroyed, destroyed by smoke and glass and and water and uh, people
0: traipsing all over it and stuff. Um, that experience bring you guys even closer together than you were.
1: For sure, it did. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I can't imagine going through that. I can't imagine if we had not been together that day how. I mean, it would have been just uh, impossible mm. like to to be worrying about the other person. But we were together the whole day, um, like literally holding hands as we were running away and stuff like that. And just living through that experience definitely just solidified our relationship and brought us closer together. Leading up to that, we had been sort of arguing because um, she comes from this very traditional family, right. a very Catholic family, and they wanted me to convert to Catholicism. And
0: you didn't grow up religious, right?
1: No, and any religion that I had was Judaism. My grandma, who escaped the Holocaust, mm. was very Jewish. And so, if anything, I was Jew. Um, so I had said to like my then girlfriend, like, I'm not gonna convert, no way, no how. And then like that day, as we escaped the wreckage, I was like, yeah, anything you want me to do, <laughs> I will convert to any religion. You called that you the in laws and said, <laughs> yeah, fine, it's yeah, time. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah,
0: I bet. You have a wife now, you don't yet have kids, but you have a wife now, and you felt you had a husband sized hole, hole in, in my your heart. heart. Yeah. And uh, at what point did Liam O'Brien come into that? <clears throat> So
1: tell me about this, Brian. Is this going to be like one of those game shows Mm -hmm. where you ask him the same questions as you ask me, Mm -hmm. and then if we got the answers right, we win a prize?
0: Correct. And the prize (laughs) is another (laughs) sidecar. And the prize is you get each other. Well, that is the the best prize,
1: (laughs) Um, except not in Quebec, Canada. Sorry. Right, right. right. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Quebec, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. um, we met, Liam and I met uh, when my wife had, my fiance at the time, had uh, had been shooting pictures for a while and she said, I wanna go to film school now. So she had applied and gotten into, uh, or she was starting to apply to film schools in Los Angeles and we knew that we were gonna kind of mo- make the move uh, out of New York to Los Angeles. And I was preparing myself for that move. Um, and uh, we were at an anime convention, and I um, I saw this dude, and we started to talk. And it turns out that Liam and I had done anime shows together. We had acted together, but we had never actually met. Because, mm. you know, when you record Yeah, anime, you do it at different times. One at a time, right. yeah. And so we had worked together, but I never met the man. And then we got to meet at this anime convention, um, and we just started talking. And, and I don't know what it was, but, like... You know what? Talking to you, Brian, I do know what it was. You Tell me. Ha- I, it was that thing we've been talking about. I don't have a lot of friends who get it. Right. And he instantly got it.
0: He told me that... he. he I think he said he couldn't remember which one of the two of you said it, but one of you immediately, uh, spending time at that convention together, said to the other, we should be best friends.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Instantly. In the first 20 minutes of knowing knowing each other, uh, yeah, because, I, I don't know, he he had the same shared experiences and the same interests and the same desire to perform and put himself out there and expose himself to the world. I think because of very different reasons, um, I, I you know, I don't pretend to understand everything that goes on in his, his mind. Um, probably mine comes from like this deep insecurity and wanting to please people all the time yeah i don't know what what drives him as much but i know that we share that
0: that spark right
1: and we must have sensed it in each other that first meeting and uh, i said i'm moving to la he said i'm already in la when you move out there let's be best friends i'll get you a lot of work because i already know the people out there and i was like great And it was done.
0: You had a leg up because somebody that not only could get you work or anything like that, but you knew that if you came to L.A., I have a friend there. I have somebody Mm -hmm. that's like me or that, you know, at least understands me.
1: Yeah, it's like Survivor, the fabulous reality show that we
0: all love and and watch. Oh, yeah, I don't miss a (laughs) season.
1: But early episodes of that show, they're all trying to pair up and make pacts with each other or whatever. Survive. To survive. Yeah, like they make... Alliances yeah and um and it made moving to Los Angeles so much easier knowing I had I had an alliance mm-hmm. already and uh, and together we've we've taken over Los Angeles
0: uh, completely I mean the billboards the uh, <laughs> you know the awards stack up mm-hmm. that relationship uh all these years later it means a lot to you, yeah,
1: yeah, I love that Liam O'Brien
0: and uh
1: he loves me back. He does. We long we, time.
0: We talked about that <laughs> long time. We talked about that. And um it was interesting because he he sees a side of you that it's not that other people don't see, but it's funny because the things that, you know, he appreciates your sense of humor and, and you know, I'm supposed to say we all do. Uh but to him uh the thing that really stuck out to me was that. He describes you as an extremely caring, thoughtful person who listens and and has been there for him during really hard times in his life. Um, That's surprising. Why? It's not surprising. No, it's not. Uh, uh, But you guys have an interesting, you you guys have a very interesting bond that uh, not a lot, I would say not a lot of men that I know are comfortable being that close to mm-hmm. you, you know I, I have no problem with it but there's a lot of people who wouldn't describe a relationship with another guy that sure, way sure. or or be that close or you know go through stuff like that together yeah
1: I guess I guess it, it's a combination of just being uh, being on the same wavelength with each other and also being together through different periods of our lives uh, you know, moving out here is scary, mm. and being a young actor is scary, and being a young anything is scary, and so you rely on your friends to get you through it, and uh, and so I guess we were there for each other uh, during that sort of time of uh, professional growth, right? And in doing so, we just got closer and closer as as friends, and have been there for each other through babies being born and hard times uh, with family stuff. And, uh, you know, our, our our path and our and our lives and sort of like the sequence of events in our lives have been very parallel. Mm. You know, uh, we both married people who we had been dating for a long time. We both had kids roughly the same time. His are a little older. Um, you know, we, we both, did the same sorts of anime jobs, which led to the same sorts of video game jobs, which led to the same sorts of directing jobs. It's been fun to just have someone to like be able to talk to who, like, yeah, I totally know what you're saying, man, because mm. I that same thing happened to me last week, yeah, or or you know, or yelling in a video game, he gets it, directing an actor who's difficult to work with, he gets it, writing a script that's really annoying, he gets it, mm. like, we. We just share there's so many commonalities that it just makes it so easy to be his friend
0: and New York is uh, a lot easier of a city in my opinion to Do things alone or to do things on your own a little bit more often when you move to LA It's a lot spread out. It's a lot more laid back, it's not as easy of a town to try and go through a lot of that stuff alone as New York is, in my opinion. Yeah, because we're,
1: we're all like on a little island out here. Uh, each neighborhood is like its own little island mm-hmm. and, and you can't really explore other ones without a guide. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's it was very helpful. I, man, if I had to move to LA without a friend and a girlfriend, I have no idea how that would go.
0: At what point in theater and improv and doing all this stuff do you stumble into voiceover work?
1: Well, voiceover is interesting because you don't have to be good looking to do it. Uh, and that's always been my sort of my what my one problem is I'm I'm fugly.
0: <laughs> no, you don't really believe that about yeah, yourself. Well,
1: yeah, I mean When I first moved to LA, I was auditioning for on-camera stuff, and and as a kid, I was auditioning for on-camera stuff all the time. Um, So I'm used to going into a a casting office and seeing like seven other guys who look just like me, but are way handsomer, Mm. (laughs) and you know, manageable
0: mouths. Yes,
1: (laughs) yeah, with with then just more put together than me. And I was I was tired of being guy number eight, right? <laughs> Who, when I walked in, everyone else would be like, "Oh, cool! I got this one." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I've been doing voiceover forever, and um, since I was a kid and stuff mm. too, so after I became an adult, it just it just seemed like a natural thing to keep pursuing. Also, I happen to have this like uh, this really region neutral accent. Mm. Um, and so I started to do like uh, books on tape and learning learning books, uh, English language learning books and stuff when I was a young adult. And that was good practice and got really good on the mic. And that led to other things like anime and
0: cartoons. Ninja Turtles. I mean, we don't have time to go through. Oh, we have time to go through. (laughs) No, it's honestly, it's um, I was looking at it the other day when I was doing research for this interview. You don't do research. I had to for you because I'm like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, because what is there? What is there to talk about? (laughs) Did it scratch the same itch for you? Because voiceover, you don't get that instant gratification like we talked about. So where did that sense of... I'm I'm performing and I'm doing that thing that I love, but mm-hmm. did it scratch a different itch for you than theater and improv? Did? It does.
1: It scratches a different itch because in voiceover, as I'm sure other guests of your fine show have commented on, you can play all kinds of different roles. You can be bad guys and good guys and animals and aliens and all kinds of great stuff. So it really is fun to just explore and express from just from your your voice. Yes, there is no there is nobody just applauding off off screen, um, but uh, you still do get a sense of like of play, and imp- improvisation sometimes in cartoons anyway, and finding punchlines and finding jokes on jokes on jokes and, um, and you know what? There, I'm gonna take it back. There there is a lot of laughter in voiceover studios even if you're just working with one other person um, like Liam and I used to do when we would make these anime shows uh, together when we first moved to LA we'd make these terrible anime shows that we would write ourselves direct ourselves record ourselves and even then even when it was just me recording and Liam uh, uh, in the booth or whatever we would still crack each other up all the time with different performances and outtakes and all sorts of stuff like that. So it does scratch the same itch, um, in a slightly different way. It's a different scratch mm-hmm. technique. Yeah, it still, still scratches. <laughs> Can we? That's the thing. Yeah, right? that makes sense. Sure. I think people know what it's part a of rub, the body. not a scratch. I understand. Yeah, it's a
0: it's a wax on, not a wax off. Sure. You've been directing for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a different experience than acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have been acting your entire life, so I feel like you understand actors well. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you love about directing?
1: I love a lot of the same things I like about performing. You know, going into these different places or different experiences or different emotions and exploring all that stuff is, is just fun. I do like actors a lot. I feel like they're, for the most part, kind of interesting and funny and different. Um, and I've known them my whole life. And so as a director, even if it's one actor at a time, you still get to see a ton of actors. Mm. Today, before I came here to do this, I think I directed seven different actors this morning. And it's it's great. Some of them are super hilarious in the booths. Some of them are super serious and really focused on their character. Some of them uh, are uh, TV actors who don't do this a lot and need a lot of coaxing and, and coaching to get to a, an animation place. So, But it, in all of them, they're interesting, cool people, and it's it's fun to hang out with them. It's also fun fun to hang out with them in short bursts because mm, right. actors can also be kind of depressing
0: sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But
1: that. I only get them for like an hour or two at a time. Right. When they're on their mo- their best mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. and they're living their best lives because mm-hmm. they have work and they're making money. So I get all the best parts of hanging out with actors with none of the depression. And then also I get uh, I get to act a lot as. As a director, um, especially nowadays doing TV animation, a lot of times we don't have that big group record where there's six people in the booth doing a whole episode of a show at at once.
0: So you have to read lines for those actors that are not Yeah, a lot of
1: times someone will come in and, and they'll want someone to play off of, and so I get to play every other person in the episode. And I get to do voices, and I get to really make them laugh, and they get to make me laugh, and it makes the scenes better. And it also gets... I just get to act all day with actors who are way better than me. Mm. You know, Academy Award winning actors. I've directed John Hamm. I've directed uh, uh, Snoop Dogg. I've directed Cher. I've directed, like, amazing people. And I get to do scenes with them. And I would never get a chance to do that just as an actor. But as a director, yeah, I do.
0: Was it hard to sit there and try and focus while John Hamm's Beautiful, everything was just right in front of you, just oh, yeah. glaring into your soul.
1: He's a handsome man. Uh, he's a he's a handsome man, and uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to know when you're in the presence of a ham, <laughs> what to do. But uh, no, it, working with John Ham was good because uh, we also had. He's weirdly friends with Jack McBrayer. Oh
0: weird. Oh they're, yeah. They're yeah, like yeah, best yeah. friends. Yeah. Well he's he's weirdly in the comedy scene. He's he's yeah. friends with everybody in that Yeah, circle. so we had
1: Jack McBrayer and John Hamm that day,
0: and it made things really easy because it was
1: very friendly, friendly environment.
0: Yeah. At some point you're living life with Liam O'Brien. He sure. mentions he is having a birthday coming up. What he'd really love to do oh, yeah. is play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. So, having grown up not playing that game, like some of the others had done, what was your initial thought at that idea?
1: So, we did. Uh, we we conceived of this Dungeons and Dragons game. Partly because it was his birthday coming up, and partly because we were doing a show, mm-hmm. a podcast, podcast called "All Work No Play," available right now on the Critical Role Twitch Network. Look at the, the camera. And uh, <laughs> see it. Catch us
0: Fridays at eight.
1: I have no idea when the show's on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll put it on the screen.
1: Oh yeah, because they told me I could do this, and a graphic would appear. Right said here. not
0: to do this. Oh, he did. He said, "Do There's not be a do graphic that. right here." Nope, there will be nothing. <laughs> nope. Instead, your social security <laughs> number is your cell phone number is about to pop up. Um, so you guys are doing the podcast. So we
1: were doing the podcast, and he had this stupid idea to, to play Dungeons and Dragons, which I don't know about nerd stuff because
0: um, you only really grew up, like you said, reading comic books. And comic books is nerdy. Yeah, you weren't sitting there reading Dragonlance like Liam. Oh, or, that's dorky. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> I wasn't into fantasy.
0: Uh, uh, that's dorky, says the <laughs> eight-year-old theater nerd who sang in a doo-wop
1: who sang group. In Yeah, yeah, but dragons, super nerdy. (laughs) No, I just wasn't around anyone who played Dungeons & Dragons as a kid, so I never got exposed to it. I think as a kid I would have loved it in retrospect, but I didn't know, I didn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and the ones I did have just weren't into it. They were doing the same things you were. It wasn't that they were... So I uh, so we played together for, for the podcast and for his birthday with uh, with our friends
0: and it was a great it was a great night. What did you walk away from that? What were you feeling when you walked away from that night?
1: I mean, I think everyone felt the same thing, which was, wow, we got to do that again. Mm. That was something. Uh, there was some magic to it. I don't I don't know if it was the collection of people or the characters that we were playing. It was probably Matt. Mm. It was probably Matt was just so fucking good. Yeah, that we were like, imagine if Matt Mercer was your first Dungeon Master ever.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, you were sort of ruined at that point. Yeah, and, and also completely enraptured. Yeah,
1: it was just great storytelling. It was a great hangout with with some friends, some people I didn't know very well. Um, it was acting. It was being silly. It was everything in in me that I've been wanting. People, People who I could be friends with, who get me and who also perform, an opportunity to make people laugh, to play different characters, to tell a weird, cool story. Like it's it's everything all at the same time. It's it was the best drug.
0: You couldn't have known going into it that no. it was gonna scratch all of those itches and cover no. all those bases of the stuff that you really loved until you experienced
1: it. No, no. It was it was uh, it was an epiphany. It was one of those light bulb moments where where like, at least for me, you know. There's no going back. Like, right, I've had that experience. I I want more of that forever. Mm. Um, so it was it was great. It was a great night, and it was and it's led to so many more weird, great, sad nights and happy nights and uh, and such an experience. Even even just like when we're not doing our show or playing the game, it's led to all of these great moments together that you know, are the best moments of our lives, I guess.
0: (laughs) You have this experience with this Dungeons & Dragons game. After the first session, you immediately are hooked and intrigued. Sure, yes. Did you have an idea at that point that it was going to cover a lot of those bases that you grew up having as your bread and butter of improv and and character creation and on-the-spot reaction. Did you realize that early on in that home game that this is kind of fulfilling me in a way I never... I mean,
1: I feel like, yes, something about those early games uh, definitely rang true and and compelled all of us to just keep going and and there's something here that's special and spectacular. And... uh, yeah, it hasn't been until recently. Like even even when we started broadcasting the show on the stream, it didn't um, it didn't sink in that like no, this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing that you want to be doing now. Like it was fun. I love these people. I love mm. this game. But um, but only, only like recently has it really sunk in. Like no, 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 this is the thing that your life has been leading towards. <laughs> Uh all, all, all your experiences on stage and screen, improv, writing, directing, voice acting, it's all for this. Mm. Um, and after you get over the initial hurdle of like, but this is just a Dungeons and Dragons game? After you sort of say, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. After you get past that, it's like... That's that's fine. Mm. I am I'm, I'm happy with this. Like yeah. this this is great. If my life led to this, um, then it was it was great. It was a good it was a good traje- trajectory and and one that no one could have for, foreseen,
0: which is predicted. Yeah, amazing. When you see the feedback that you get from the show, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people love your sense of humor. Um, your Improv- improvisational skills are, uh, you know, highly regarded in some parts of the world. Uh, but now you're looking at... <laughs> not the at, English-speaking Not parts the English-speaking, of the world. No, no, no. no, not the people actually understand what you're no, saying. No, no, no. But the show has impacted people in a lot of ways. The characters that you've played have impacted people mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Is that fulfilling for you in a way that's different from... That laugh and that that feeling of instant gratification you would, you would have on stage as a kid because it goes to a deeper level with how it's touched people. Yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I I've been in plays before where people have cried mm. or uh, gotten emotional in the audience and stuff like that. So um, it's a different kind of feedback that we have on on the the critical role show in that we do something and it's not like there's a live audience. Mm but we do hear about things via social media or via uh letters that people send in um or people that we meet at these uh you know conventions, conventions and, right. and live events that we that we host meeting people and talking to people it is a different way of of interacting with uh people who are watching your work and one that I I haven't really experienced before where it's not just they had a great time watching your show uh and it's not even like uh, meeting someone in, at the stage door after a show where they they want an autograph mm. and they want to tell you how 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 great a show it was um, it's something much deeper than that where the characters that we're bullshitting on the fly are actually like resonating with people in a way that um, that is uh, it, it's just on a much more personal level. And it's really cool, and it's also a, a lot of pressure right. to know that people are looking at the characters that we're creating in this long-form improv show, which is essentially what it is. But they're looking to these characters, and they're seeing themselves in these characters in, in a very deep, personal way. It makes it h- harder in a way. Well, it makes it more important in a way that like you don't want to just rattle off a shitty joke just to get a laugh, which is my bread and fucking <laughs> butter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want to do something as a character that's going to get a different kind of reaction that people might not like like or people might not laugh at at all, but, but a few people in the audience will identify with it in a way that is way more fulfilling than just a, an easy laugh.
0: And that risk for you is worth it because you know that you can get that laugh. And you know you're smart enough, you're quick enough to yeah. be able to get that reaction. But at some point, does having that reaction get old and you want to create a different reaction or create a different emotion in the in the viewer or the audience?
1: I mean, for me, getting a laugh will never be old. Right. But, but yes, knowing that you can get a different kind of a reaction, uh, a, a more honest or deeper reaction from an audience is... I It's it's amazing.
0: Was there any of that mindset going into sort of the turn towards the later part of the first campaign with Scanlan, taking him into a more serious, going from a guy who visited the brothels and always had, you know, poop and all the fun (laughs) jokes and everything. And then I think it was pretty highbrow. It was very highbrow. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, absolutely.
1: That's, that's the transition right there is like, is the first 50 episodes of, of Critical Role, me just going for cheap and easy jokes, and then the next 50 episodes, me uh, realizing like, oh no, I don't have to just tell shitty stand-up. Mm. <laughs> I, I can like do cool character exploration and and talk about backstory and emotion and 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 explore different parts of this character and and myself in the character. That I haven't gotten a chance to explore uh, very much, and it's turned out to be the best part of the show, I think, for us as performers, and I hope for some of the audience as viewers, like definitely. getting into like a deeper level of of knowing the characters and knowing knowing their emotions, and also that being a window into our emotions and and experiences as players, and how that reflects the audience that watches the show. It's 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 definitely been a transition, and one that I'm. I'm so excited about, and i so excited to see where this campaign goes as a result.
0: Was that risky for you? Because you're so comfortable doing the other thing, did you feel, I don't know if people will accept me this way if I if yeah. I play this thing more seriously because I am known as sort of the comedy of the group? and Yeah, I mean,
1: I think there's a part of me, especially, that always has the audience in mind mm. in the back of my head, no matter what I do. Um, so, going to a different place or a darker place uh, is it's always a risk. um just not knowing how people, people will, will respond to will it. respond to it. and also if I can care if I can pull it off in a believable, honest way, um, you know, that's that's hard stuff as an actor to do. and it's even harder when you're drinking from a gigantic flask uh, and you're a little tipsy or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, but it's worth, it's worth it. Uh, the reward is, has been amazing. Yeah. So it's something that I hope we get to keep, keep doing on the show and um, I hope people find it enter- entertaining even though sometimes it gets dark or
0: heavy or deep. <laughs> You told me once that you like to start with a character's flaws mm-hmm. when uh, trying to identify with a character or trying to create a character. In this case, why why is that? Because you you, you would think watching your performance and knowing you that you would want to find the likable things mm-hmm. and exploit those first, and the things that make that person strong or charismatic, etc. But you like to start with their flaws. Why why is that?
1: Uh, wow, I. I don't know. I think it's a combination of um, probably a lot of improv experience. Uh, just being on stage and exploring these different characters as a young improviser and sketch comic. Um, when you, you know, characters that are flawed and 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 messed up tend to be more interesting for the audience and for the performer. But also, um, you know, not to self psychoanalyze or whatever. Uh, i i'm I try to I'm sure I try to present myself as like uh, oh, a together guy who's always happy and uh, and and with it and fun and life, funny of the party. and life of the party and all that stuff. but I am sure that I, in finding flaws in the characters that I am portraying, I am so looking at my own flaws mm. and trying to figure them out. Um, uh, You know, Scanlan was like uh, a a character that was very... uh, Life of the party also, but had a lot of demons and a lot of insecurities and stuff, and there's definitely some of that in me, and the character I'm playing now, Not is... um, uh, is really uh, timid and shy and skittish and nervous about things, and there's definitely a lot of that, you know, buried beneath my super handsome uh, ripped facade so yeah like there's lots of there's lots of inner work as well as outer work mm. going on yeah um, in, in all of these characters and all of these like deeper more
0: exploratory moments has the success of the show put more pressure on you to fully flesh out a character? Uh, earlier on or is that do you still leave a lot of room because because your background is so heavy in improv and and coming up with things on the spot and leaving a lot of room for someone else's reaction and then to react to that reaction Mm -hmm. um, do you try and pad a little bit up front and then wait and see how everything plays out in the story before you develop more of who that character is or how much of it do you have figured out versus Letting those improv skills and everything take over.
1: Well, I think this is a very unique storytelling medium that we kind of explore on Critical Role. Um, if you're writing a screenplay or TV show or whatever, like you want to know everything about mm-hmm. that character going into it, um, so you can, uh, so it so it guides the story and guides his or her reaction in the story. Um, but this is not like that. Like we. I do think it, it helps in, in this form of storytelling to have a lot of unknowns. Like, you want to know where the person came from and what their goals are, but there's a lot of specifics that you don't want to have answered right away because that leaves it open for, for fun new experiences to occur to you in the moment, for improv beats to happen, for discoveries to be made. And what's cool about this show and the story that we tell together is that we get to make those discoveries together live and people watch it and they see it happen. they see like the moment that Matt decides to become Victor mm, or whatever mm, like yeah. they see the moment that the character is created or the facet of the character is created um, and that becomes part of their character forever. So you're not just watching a story you're being you're watching a story being written, which is which is weird and also, kind of cool yeah yeah so you want to leave some in this medium anyway you want to leave some things untold
0: right because if you have it set in stone and then based on where the story goes or what everyone else does yeah you don't want to be an immovable object you want to be malleable and yeah and also there's dice involved right there's so, chaos determining the yeah. outcome of much of that stuff yeah
1: yeah so decisions are guided by fate and chance and if you are singularly focused on doing one thing and it's
0: gotta be this way,
1: and the dice don't don't cooperate, then you are fucked. Mm-hmm.
0: Going back to what we were talking about with the way the arc played out in the first campaign, um, an actor I really admire once said that y- in television, you have to be willing to lose the audience for a few episodes and have to win them back mm-hmm. because you're making choices that they may not Agree with right away, but you are trying to tell a story that, in hindsight, they will understand what you were doing. Mm-hmm. How important is that for you? Do you, do you did you feel that? Did you feel like I might lose I might lose some people because they see this guy as one way, and now I'm trying to implement this other thing? Was there a fear of being that whole thing being rejected and going? I guess sure. I'll have to go back to the poop yeah. jokes and. You know, because you think deeply about that stuff, and I know that a lot yeah. of it seems like it comes up on the spot, but I know that you spend time and really try to flesh that stuff out.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah, and absolutely. Any any major major move like that, or or turning Scanlan to a darker side, or um, or or getting him, you know, addicted to spice,
0: spice. or whatever, like
1: all this stuff uh, was calculated not in a way to get uh, to elicit a response from the audience or make them hate me, or make them hate the character. It was calculated in a pure sense of like, what would the guy do right now? Mm. Uh, and it was it was just about exploring the, the character honestly. And yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I, I was worried that people would get turned off by the decisions I was making, or the moves I was making in the game. Um, and uh, it's a real, very real fear. Or, or when I introduced this brand new asshole character. <laughs> right. Uh, I was I was extremely worried, but um, but it seemed honest. And what what Critical Role has taught me, and what Matt has taught me, and what playing this game has taught me, is that following the honesty of the character and their true tra- trajectory, even if it's not what you would as a writer would would follow, um, is more rewarding than just going, sometimes than just going Going for the the easy joke or the easy laugh or the easy out. Uh, In the long term, it's it's better to just stay true to that path and commit to that character and that story and in the end, you find yourself in a place that you could not have ever foreseen Mm. as long as you just keep going towards the things that that character would want.
0: Had you gone for just the laughs the whole time, or gone for just a serious character the whole time, would it felt would it have felt at the end of it like something was missing? For sure, you needed that yin and yang and that balance. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. You need you need you need down times to know when the good times are there mm. and stuff. Like you need failure to to know when you're succeeding and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, seeing both sides of of that character and all, and all the characters are are really important.
0: I think for.
1: Mm. Us as performers.
0: You're sitting there at the Emmy Awards. Sure. Um, Let's, it's daytime Emmy.
1: You're sitting there at the daytime Emmy Awards. So we're like in someone's backyard. You're in,
0: you're in, you're in uh, yeah. <laughs> we're in Regis Philbin's backyard. <laughs> you're in Regis Philbin's backyard. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's, uh, yeah, it's It's being catered by Carl's Jr. Um, yeah, there's a truck. There's a Carl's Jr. truck sure. there. Doesn't get all over the place. Um, <laughs> Don't give me the Sam Riegel daytime Emmy award-winning answer. Wow! What what is going through your mind? <laughs> Don't answer like Sam. <laughs> Don't answer Riegel like or... you. Answer like no, but like you, a real person. You've but... won a lot of awards in your life. <laughs> you you and Rob Blatt won a lot of <laughs> awards yeah, for Rob your improv and stuff Blatt. and your sketch comedy things. You you have you've won a lot of awards in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going through your mind when they call your name was this a was this another tear up was it a sense of i i've evolved and i've accomplished something even further than all of the stuff that you did as a youngster
1: uh, yeah i mean when they when they uh, was it disbelief yeah of course disbelief of course surprise we you know just from a physical standpoint they seated us in the like the last row of the balcony <laughs> And so when we showed up for the Emmys, we were like, "Oh, well, we're not going to win because they wouldn't see see us right. here if we if we have to go on stage." So it was actually really great because we could relax and just enjoy the show, and just sit there and watch other people accept their trophies. So when we did win uh, this this award, uh, it was very shocking, and it still hasn't really sunk in yet. As much as people uh, tease me, and as as much as I like to flaunt. My Emmy Awardness, uh, my Emmy Award-winningness—I still don't actually have a trophy. It's been like—it's it been like six months. They haven't sent me one. Do you yet. have to
0: buy it yourself? Oh, I know yeah. some of them you have to pay for. It yeah,
1: I—I so. th- I think I think it costs a lot of money. <laughs> oh my goodness! But whatever, it's worth it, right? But yeah, it was it was spectacular. It was it was very special to um, have embarked on this crazy journey. Uh, with my with my wife moving to Los Angeles, with my husband Liam <laughs> going up through the voiceover ranks, um, idolizing people uh, in our field like John DiMaggio and Tom Kenny and 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 Gray Delisle, Gray Griffin, um, and and like these titans of voiceover and animation and stuff, and then to be given a thing that's like, hey, you're one of us now, mm. like that's really. It's really special. That's
0: how it felt for you. Yeah, it felt like I'm 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 arriving on the scene that these people that I admire so much are at, and I'm I'm grateful to be here.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And it's like a, f- a physical, or it will be when I get the fucking thing. Uh, it, it will be a physical <laughs> reminder that like, hey man, you're doing fine. Mm. <laughs> you're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, the struggle still goes on, but like, you got that, and. You, even if you fall, you can't go f- f- below that point. Like right. It's a stopgap of right. some sort. Comedians as, uh, and, and performers, as insecure as we all are, and you are a big example of you, that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, all <laughs> I'm sitting here while you're talking is thinking about how big of a piece of shit I am.
1: Um, but we're all we're all looking for just that, that applause or that cheap laugh or that trophy or just something to keep us going. And, you know, they, everyone says like, you know, awards are bullshit or whatever, but it's, it it is, it is, it is another thing that I can at least turn to in my darkest of dark days and be like, Hey, you're okay, man. It's okay. Right. Some people like you.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. The Academy. Sure. Yeah. Right. It it was, it was great. It was
1: great. I'm very grateful.
0: You've accomplished a lot already in your life, and you, you, I hear you talk about Critical Role and this experience as, you know, if, if that's it, I'm content. Mm-hmm. What's, what's a day look like for you now? You do so much directing. You still do a little bit of, of voiceover acting, but then Critical Role. Everything's sort of all over the place. Um, but now you're doing stuff for the channel, mm-hmm. um, getting more involved. Did you? This is the dream, man. Yeah.
1: It's all of it. It's all of it at the same time. So it's.
0: You get a say in the content that you get to create and how you. Not
1: only making content and and shooting shows uh, like this one uh, mm, uh, for the channel, but uh, and making our our Dungeons & Dragons show. which is great and and it's a creative outlet and um, it's about being closer to friends and around friends and being funny with people um, on a professional level but then I I have this amazing wife at home who's also fabulously talented and I have these great kids at home and I don't sleep a lot Mm -hmm. but it's great because I just wanna be awake to like do as much of each thing as I can be it animation or seeing those kids for as long as I can in the morning or at night, uh, reading them stories at nighttime.
0: I don't agree with you, but I'm going to use your term. Say you go, you were in those audition rooms back in the day. Mm-hmm. Say you were the most good-looking guy in the room or the most talented or whatever else. Sure. But say you were mm-hmm. and you had found success in that field. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this is more fulfilling because it gets to touch on so many other things?
1: Not only does it scratch many itches and, and, uh, uh, allow me to be, uh, creative and also administrative and also writing and performing and, uh, all that stuff. Not only that, but it, it came from a place of, uh, uh, of just friends hanging out and, um, and doing what we love together and telling stories. And so, yeah, it is, it is a bit more fulfilling just knowing that, like, We've gotten to this place just just from being who we are and 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 following our our true path rather than like waiting for someone else to give us a job mm. or waiting for Something someone to else to say like Hey, you're handsome. You're a model now. Like it's it's much more interesting to to create the path that you're on by yourself as you go. Mm. And so I feel like th- we've done a little of that. So that's, right, it's been really rewarding. Yeah, even though. I have to see you at least once a week. week. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I understand. I get that a lot. Yeah,
1: but you know, like we were saying before, you have to know the darkness to know the light.
0: Yes, yes. For every Brian, there's a (laughs) Mauritius. Yeah, exactly. 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 What cuts through all of this and gets to you? Uh, What gets What gets that emotional reaction out of you?
1: Boy, that's rough. I'm, I'm interested Besides a, wine, I'm interested in a lot of things. Um, I'm fascinated by the uh, the Machine Gun Kelly Eminem feud okay. right now. Yeah. I Why? Why? I don't know because I don't know you, anything about that world.
0: Okay. So you're 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 coming from a place of curiosity. Yeah. That's
1: more it. intellectual curiosity. Okay. Um. I and so like it's a it's a weird opportunity for me to be like, ooh, what are some other diss tracks? <laughs> Uh, and so I get to like explore um, but that's more of an intellectual curiosity yeah. from an emotional standpoint um, this the stories and 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 books and movies and things that I'm drawn to are um, I'm trying to think of like the I find, last the last good cry I've had was probably during a commercial yeah usually it's the
0: commercials <laughs> that end up getting it. any video
1: that features a child in peril.
0: Mm uh will will get me but, Trigger that dad instinct. Yeah. Or...
1: But I think in in general like it's less about the the stories that uh inspire that in me now and it's it's much more about just watching my my actual children mm-hmm. do things and experience things and um watching like you know parenting is is fun for a lot of reasons. You know, it's challenging and and you get to shape a life and and you get to become friends with a new person and stuff like that. Um, but it's also, it's amazing because you get to experience all these events and all these emotions again for the first time. Mm. So like, uh, you don't maybe remember the first time uh, you had a weird thing on your face at school and everyone laughed at you. Yeah. And I don't either, but I got, I got to see my son. He had this thing on his lip the other day. Um, it was like a permanent marker. And oh. he was so mortified and petrified to go to school um, and so embarrassed and stuff. And that that wasn't fun for me, but it was interesting to see, like, that's the first time he will ever be embarrassed to go to school. Wow. The first of many. Right, right. Um, but I got to experience that with him and I got to take him to school and I got to watch it all unfold and his reaction after school and everything. and And it's... It's fascinating to, to get to experience these firsts again mm. uh, as a parent. And it's, uh, it's better than when you went through it the first right. time because now you get to just watch and, and just take it in and let it wash over you rather than like having to worry about being in the moment. Yeah. And the, the stories, I guess, that my kids are telling me are the, the best stories. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a, a, amazing. Are you? And I can't wait till they get older and older, and, and I get to get more interesting stories from them.
0: Right. Yeah. Do you tell them that you went through that, or do you put up the veneer of, well, you know, I never really struggled with any, uh, when I had long hair, everyone <laughs> loved it immediately. They, they thought, you know, they wanted to photograph me. <laughs> and, <laughs> totally. uh,
1: no, no. I, I I tell them all the bad stories, and they, they know that their father was a total dork in school, and made fun of mercilessly, and was always the shrimpy kid, and... Got beat up a bunch. So mm. yeah, they're gonna they're gonna think that their dad is both a hero and a total goober.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you still tell them the uh the story of the campaign that you're in as a sure. as a bedtime you read? You yeah, recap every for them Friday
1: and... night the kids ask me to tell them what happened in Critical Role the night before, and I I try to edit out the most gross stuff or the most sexy, sexy time
0: stuff. So then they say, "Dad, it doesn't sound like you did a lot in this episode." <laughs> well, some
1: episodes, yeah, like when we just go to a town and shop, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are super disappointed. Right, right. Um, but when we fight things, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty great. My, and now both my kids, my my girl too, is is always asking, like, "Did you do critical role yet?" Oh wow! Yeah,
0: tell us the story. I imagine being at the age and the part in your life where you are now um, having a close community like this and not only going on an adventure with each other, but starting a business together and, and living life together and everything like that, everything else like that. It must be something that you hope your kids experience, not in, maybe in this direct way, but in some form or another. It seems like yeah, it's resounding with everyone I've talked to so far.
1: Yeah, I would love for them to, to forge out on their own and... and have an idea and see where it goes, and if it fails, it fails. If that's fine, if it succeeds, that's even better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's risky though. Uh, this life that we've all chosen for ourselves, not having a stable job or a steady health insurance. Right. Sometimes. Right. Um, it's real risky, um, and there's lots. There's been lots of times for all of us where we've questioned our decisions and. Um, been unsure what the next gig is or whatever, but when it comes, it's it's weirdly more rewarding. Yeah, I don't know if it's for everybody. And sometimes I I I, I see old friends from University of Virginia who have like really good jobs, consulting for a company, and amazing houses with pools and uh, just the greatest life and uh, so stable and so easy and great, and they travel and. And I get jealous of that life too. You do.
0: Sure, sure. Um because of the stability and the certainty and and, and, and that or for other reasons?
1: Yeah, just because like it must be so great to to not have to worry. <laughs> to not have to come up with
0: the funny ad every yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the car on the yeah, way to yeah. the Yeah.
1: Um but it's but there's 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 a flip side to that, which is that we get to have these unique uh, Serendipitous experiences and moments that maybe, maybe that we wouldn't have mm. had a chance to experience if we had been, uh, you know, had that steady job or whatever. So there's, right. there's always trade-offs, but there's great rewards as well.
0: Yeah. Anything you haven't done yet that you really want to do?
1: Oh boy. Um, You've jumped out of a plane. Jumped out of a plane. I've, I've sang at Carnegie Hall. You've sang at Carnegie Hall. Um, you have an. Emmy. I have an You've, Emmy. Um, yeah. I do have you want a beautiful to go for, wife and kids? Do you want to go for an
0: egot situation? cool that, uh, that seems think? like a lot of work. <laughs> it I, does. I think now I'd really like to just get some sleep. Yeah. Up next, rest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just rest, and I want to. I want to start traveling again. We traveled a lot when we were in our twenties and stuff, but. Kids change that, so mm-hmm. I would love to start traveling and go to, uh, I haven't seen much of South America. Oh, yeah. Haven't seen, I haven't been, I haven't, I've been to Paris, France once for eight hours, so oh, I would wow. love to go back to Paris, France for longer than eight hours, mm-hmm. maybe nine.
0: How do you think your expert French accent will go over, oh, yeah, the training that you had? Will I should get off the experience. plane
1: and when I go through customs be like, hello, I am French. <laughs> It is wonderful to meet you. I was on The Guiding Light when I was uh, 15 years old. Not
0: sure if you recognize this face. Yes, I
1: played Nuri the pickpocket.
0: Can I get dual citizenship from that? Yes. Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, the show is over? It is. Oh,
0: wow. That's it. Do
1: we get to finish this or do we have to yes. pour it out?
0: No, we don't have to pour it out. Do you have to use
1: it for the next this guest? Is, yeah, we're <laughs>
0: going to pour this into another glass and sit here and drink it with it's Matt. It's been
1: wonderful to talk to you, Thank you. It was Brian? great.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for you know, opening up. And...
1: You're not as big an asshole as I thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a facade that I'm slowly trying to dissolve. Hmm. Uh, one conversation with you guys at a time. Well, give it some time. Thank you so much. This was great. This was great. How many of these can you usually handle in one night? Cuz oh, I feel I feel I'm
1: pretty great. Blitzed. I feel great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Remember you can subscribe to us on iTunes and if you want to support the show, you can leave a rating or review. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Until then, don't forget to love each other.